Great to see you. Wonderful to be with you. And I want to encourage you as we look towards Christmas and we look back on this year, that you look from the perspective of not what the year hasn't been, but what the year has been. In, in spite of all that we've been through in, uh, in, in, in our nation and in the world, God is still on the throne. And um, there's still been some really good things that we've had this year and that we've enjoyed uh, as, as people, as families, and as a church. So let's, let's look back on God's blessings in our lives this year in spite of all the things that have been difficult. I want to encourage you to do that as we, as we look forward to uh, Christmas time. So I'm going to speak to you this morning out of Luke chapter 1 if you want to turn there. But just also some news from my side. I'm, not, I'm probably not going to be around to the, the, for the next two weeks. Um, <laughs> the reason for that is that my dad has had COVID and he's had pneumonia. He's been in hospital and uh, he's very, very frail. He, he suffers from dementia as it is. And so I'm going to try and leave this week to go back to South Africa to see him as best as I can. Um, uh, I, I feel compelled that I do need to go. Um, I wasn't around for the death of my mum because I was preaching in Australia. Can you believe it? What a stupid thing to do. I'm not ever going to do that again, all right? We only have relationships here on earth that are very, very precious. And one of those relationships you can never, never take back is with your parents. And so if, if you just pray for me that I get a flight, can get the, the COVID tests done and all the stuff that I need to do, and then I'll be back as soon as I can be. I hope to be back for Christmas to celebrate with you, but we'll see, we'll see how it goes. All right, so please pray for me for that, and um, pray for my dad that I can see him before he passes, because uh, I think that's inevitable in the next couple of months. So I want to speak to you this morning um, about the beautiful, beautiful work of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation and in the Christ Christmas story. So I want to start just by thanking Rachel. Where are you, Rachel? She's, there she is at the back. I don't know if you've been following online, but Rachel has put together an Advent calendar, all right? And you can log on every morning, and there's uh, some kids or some of the parents reading a little portion of the Christmas story, and there's a little activity for you to do with your younger children. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's really fun. I want to encourage you to... Um, Log on if you haven't been doing so already, and just have a look at the Advent calendar as we run up to Christmas, and I, I trust it will be a great blessing in your life. But I, I want to pick up on the readings that we've done this week in the Advent, uh, Advent calendar, um, and so we can look at Luke chapter 1, and as I've said already, focusing on the role of the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus, and it's a beautiful, beautiful story that we're going to share together this morning. So from verse 26, it says this in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and, she, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, 
the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child be, uh, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And in, in, this, in this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Uh, for you, those of you that have been around this church for many years, uh, you might remember R.T. Kendall came um, uh, about seven or eight years ago and he preached on the Holy Spirit in our, in our church. And I'll never forget um, the picture that he used to, to, to try and describe the Holy Spirit. He said he was sitting, uh, I think somewhere, he said in Jerusalem, and this dove came into the room and settled in the room, and it was very peaceful and quiet, and this dove was, was just roosting as doves do. And at the slightest noise, the dove flew away. And he felt God speak to him and say, this is, this is, the, this is why the, I used the picture of, of the dove uh, to describe my Holy Spirit, because my Holy Spirit is like that. He, he, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is gentle. He's easily, easily disturbed. And he's where he, he makes his home where he's welcome. And where he's not welcome, he removes himself quickly. And uh, he, co he contrasted that to the pigeons in Trafalgar Square that are kind of, you know, pigeons are boisterous and loud and full of energy and kind of quite uh, impolite, aren't they? They kind of, they do things they shouldn't do on statues and they kind of impolite. And he was, he was kind of saying the difference between pigeon religion, which doesn't take the Holy Spirit's presence into account. It's loud. It's, it's uh, unattractive. It's kind of boisterous. And yet where the Holy Spirit is, there's peace, there's kindness, there's joy. It's all the beauty of the Godhead. And so that's why the, the, that's why the Bible uses the picture of the dove. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, never imposes himself upon us or forces us into anything. That's, that's how you can know that you are being led by the Holy Spirit. That's how you can know in a church that the church is being led by the Holy Spirit. If you feel anxious, if you're responding out of fear, if you feel compelled by anything other than God's voice, then you are under spirit that is not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit never forces out of fear. He leads, he encourages, he draws. He never forces, he never compels out of fear. Remember that in your life. What motivates you? And let it be the Holy Spirit and his kind voice in our lives that motivates us. And so um, he really is quite shy, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see in this incredible incarnation story the role of this retiring person of the Godhead, the, the shy one in the, in the Trinity, the, the, the self-effacing one in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And so his ministry is always to point us away from himself to Jesus. That's what his ministry is. Um, and in fact, Jesus said that in John 16, 14, when he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, he said, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. And so for me, the, the Holy Spirit, his role is always to point us to the God the Father and God the Son. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it means at the same time that we are always filled with love for Jesus and love for, the Holy Spirit, and love for God the Father. It amazes me sometimes with people who have ministries of the Holy Spirit, how much it's about them and very little how much it's about Jesus and how much it's about God the Father. It's look at me. Look at what I can do. No, it's look at Jesus and look what Jesus can do. 
So we're going to look at the quiet work, the self-effacing one, the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the quiet work of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation. Uh, I love Galatians 4. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Galatians 4, verse 4. It says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I love that. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Why? Because it says, at exactly the right moment, when the fullness of time had come, when it was completely correct, God chose that moment to send His Son, His eternal Son, into the world. And here we see in this picture this morning, the story of, of Gabriel announcing to Mary the quiet work, the unobtrusive work of the Holy Spirit, preparing for that amazing thing to happen, that the eternal God can come and dwell on earth with us, His people. And so we can just go uh, stepwise through this scripture, and uh, I can see you all wrapped up with your scarves and your jackets, so I won't take too long, all right? But I really trust you'll be encouraged. Verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by, from God to a city named Nazareth. Now, six here is simply a, referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, with John the Baptist, and we can look at that later in the, in the, in the weeks ahead. But here, I, I want to just focus a little bit on Gabriel. You know, Gabriel's an interesting uh, uh, character in the Scripture, the angel Gabriel, only mentioned two times in the, in the Scripture. We've been looking at the book of Daniel, remember? Daniel, uh, in our study of Mark, uh, Daniel, the prophetic book. Well, the one that interprets the dreams in, in the, the book of Daniel is Gabriel. The angel. That's the first time we read of him. The second time we read of him is here, where again, he's doing a prophetic thing. He's announcing in advance what God is going to do. That's what the prophetic does. It announces in advance what God is going to do. And so here, Gabriel, who's associated with prophecy in the Old Testament, the angel Gabriel comes and prophetically announces what God is going to do so everyone can see and everyone can understand that it's God that is doing this thing. All right, now I think that's very, very important because it's God's choice always to announce ahead through the prophetic what He's going to do. And why is that? It's because He wants us to understand that the deeds that He, that he does are coming from Him. You see, if He doesn't announce it, if He doesn't say, this is what I'm going to do, there's always an ambiguity when we're not quite sure if it's God or not. But if God comes and says, I'm going to do this, and then it happens, we know absolutely that it's God because He's announced it before time. Does that make sense? And so here... In terms of the incarnation, God comes and He says, this is what I'm going to do. And Gabriel is the one who brings the message. And he um, shows his unique authority uh, in doing that. And in verse 27, it says, Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Well, there are two crucial things, of course, that we need to consider here. First of all, that Mary was a virgin. And secondly, that Joseph was born of the house of David. So the virginity of Mary is actually important on two levels, and here they are. Obviously, it shows sexual purity. It shows that she's never slept with a man before. Uh, that wouldn't have been a, uh, part of God's plan for that to happen uh, in terms of, of his, his son coming into the world. But, and we need to recognize this, that um, not everyone in Jesus' line was sexually pure in the same way that Mary was. So Bathsheba, the adulteress, 
she was in the, is in the line of David. So it was Tamar who seduced her own father-in-law. So the thing of sexual purity, God can forgive sexual sin. But the, the, the point is here is that God is making this point about Mary, that because she's going to receive this perfect gift of God in her womb, that she is perfect and pure. That's the point. The point is when God gives good gifts, they come to the pure in heart. They come to the pure so that he can release his best gifts through the pure. Okay, secondly, it, it's, it's not only um, the fact that uh, she's sexually pure, it also reminds us that she wasn't pregnant with anyone else's child, and that's very, very important. Um, God is making a very clear point in the incarnation. He's saying, actually, that this has got nothing to do with anyone else who is human that could have made this, this, this event happen. It's to do with my Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit is making this happen, no man. And so that's why he chooses a virgin. And that's why the Holy Spirit is the one that conceives through Mary, so that the Son can come into the world. Uh, secondly, we know we're talking about uh, the second important thing here is Joseph's line in David's line. Um, that's important because it shows a legal relationship of God's responsibility with the house of David. He had promised a whole lot of things to the house of David, that a whole lot of things would come for the nation of Israel through this line. Legally, he had committed himself to do that, and so that's why it's important that we know that Joseph was in David's line. The third, the third thing I'd like to say out of this little uh, first couple of verses is this. Uh, verse 28, um, Gabriel says to Mary, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is what I want to say. Grace sometimes comes to us in a package that we don't recognize. Grace can come to our lives in a package that we don't fully recognize, and it can puzzle us. Here the word for favored one is only used, the Greek word is only used one other time, this, the word here for favor, one other time in the whole of the New Testament. It's used in Ephesians 1 verse 6 where it means the free gift of God's grace. Ephesians 1.16, again, a favorite verse for, of mine. It says this, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us now in the Beloved. There's the same word, free gift of God's grace. And so here's the point. The first thing that Gabriel says to Mary says, this thing that's going to happen to you is a free gift of God's grace. In other words, Mary, it's got nothing to do with you. Do you get it? It's got nothing to do with you, Mary. It's a free gift of God's choice in your life that He chose you. Why do I say that? Because all over the world, there are people that worship Mary as if she was some, someone that is incredibly special. Yes, she is in the sense of that she was the one chosen. But even at the very beginning, God reminds Mary and says, Mary, there are many virgins in, in, in Israel, many people that were pure. Many young women that could have, I could have chosen, but I choose you to do this, for, uh, to, to be the bearer of this gift. And I want to remind you right at the beginning, it's actually got nothing to do with you. It's a free gift of my grace on your life. That's what he's saying. 
O favored one, this is a grace gift to you. And so the very first thing that um, Gabriel does is to remind um, Mary of that. Uh, you know, you know grace, grace in our lives eliminates all boasting in our lives, doesn't it? It eliminates boasting. And how many of us as parents don't want to boast about our children? Yeah? How wonderful they are, what they've done, what they've achieved. Of course you do. Here's the thing. Can you imagine Mary bearing the Son of God? What great cause for boasting that, have, that would have been for her. I am carrying the Son of God in my womb. So God reminds her, rather than Mary, nothing to do with you. It's a free gift of my grace in your life. Remember that right from the beginning. You are favored, but I, it's my grace that has chosen you. And so look at um, Mary's response in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this could be. That's why I said to you, sometimes grace comes in our lives in a puzzling package, so we have to figure it out. We have to, uh, we have to learn that um, in our lives. It can trouble us sometimes. This is what I mean. The grace of healing can come to our lives through a surgeon's scalpel or through a supernatural act of God. Both healing. The grace of patience can sometimes have the form, the face of pain in our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, simply this. It's often through our mistakes and our failures that we learn patience and not to run ahead of God. But sometimes the face of grace in our lives can be painful. Sometimes the grace of humility that we need to learn can come in the form of defeat. What, what do I mean? Sometimes you have to learn through your failures. That's what I mean. Sometimes the setbacks in your life teach you much more than the victories of your life. They teach you to, to depend on God in a humble way that you would never learn while things are going really, really well. And in that moment, you can choose the grace of God as it comes to you in a puzzling package. And it seems like this thing can't be good for me. And yet God turns that for good in your life as you yield to him and you learn from the setback. Grace can sometimes puzzle us. And so I love Mary's reaction because she doesn't lash out at God and say, Oh, God, I don't understand this. I can't see how this is going to happen. It simply says she takes time out. She considers in her mind and ponders in her heart how this strange thing might be possible. And I want to encourage you in your own life, when you're trying to make sense of the package and you can't understand the package and it looks like defeat and it looks like pain and it's actually God's grace coming to you, that you take the time to consider how the strange thing might still be God's plan and God's grace in your life. He makes it plain. And then in verse 30, the angel says, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Do you notice again, he reiterates the grace theme. You found favor. He, re he reasserts the key word, grace. And then he says what that grace is going to be that's going to take away your fear. He says, this is the grace that I bring. Verse 31 to verse 33. Behold, here comes the grace package for her. Here it comes. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
That's the heart of this passage. That's the beating heart of this passage right here. Here we see the work of the shy one of the, of, of the Trinity, the, the, the dove. Here we see his best work being done as he glorifies Jesus and he makes him large. And he says, this is who you're going to see in your womb. The Savior, the Son of the Most High, the one who will rule forever. And I want to point you to him, Mary. And so here are five things that to Mary is told, and I will do these very briefly, about his child. Mary's told about her child. First of all, his name will be Jesus. Yeah, I found this incredible. Joshua, Savior. That's what Jesus means. Deliverer, Joshua, Savior. Gabriel loves, at the very beginning, he's still highlighting grace to Mary. Do you notice that? He's saying, first and foremost, this child is going to be to you, Mary, Savior. To you, Mary, your Savior, your Rescuer, your Joshua, your Deliverer, you are going to bear in your womb the one who's going to save you, Jesus. Before he tells, Gabriel tells anything of the greatness of who Jesus is, he reminds her and says, this is going to be the Savior to you and the Savior to the whole world. He is Joshua. He's Deliverer. So don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid, Mary, because your child is going to be the one who's going to save you. And he's also going to be the savior of the world. Secondly, he will be great. Uh, Jesus is great. Uh, he's greater than Donald Trump, all right? Jesus is the greatest. He is the glory. He's the most glorious one. And he bears the stamp of the very nature of God. He's upholding the whole universe through the power of his word. And if there's anything in this world that excites you and see and marvel at, I want to say to you, Jesus made it. And he's 10 million times greater than the greatest thing that you admire in this world. And so if you took, I was thinking about this week, if you took all of the great thinkers of the, of the universe over the centuries from the ancient Greeks right through all of philosophy and you put them in one room, they would shut up and they would marvel at the wisdom and the superiority of Jesus as he spoke in that room. They would not have a thing to say. They would keep quiet and they would hear what Jesus has to say. All the greatest emperors, generals that have won battles in the world, if they were in the room with Jesus, they would shut up and they would hear his incredible strategy at, at putting the world together. They would not have a thing to say. All the greatest artists, all the greatest musicians in the world, if they were in one room, they would keep quiet and they would marvel at Jesus, at his grasp of music and theory and his perfect playing of every single instrument better than anyone has ever done. He is great. Gabriel cannot find the words, and so he summarizes it in those three little words. Jesus is great over everything. Thank you. It's worth applauding. It is. We're so cool sometimes, aren't we? It's worth getting excited about the, the greatness of Jesus. He's the one that we serve. And so there's nothing that Jesus can't do a thousand times, a million times better than anyone that you admire. And he is called the great one. Second, thirdly, he'll, called, he'll be called the son of the most high. I do want to point this out. You know, it is true that um, the Bible also says that we are sons. We are sons and daughters. It does say that, and uh, you can read it here in Luke 6.35. But the sonship that we have as sons and daughters is nothing like the sonship of, G of, of Jesus. 
He is the Son. He is the eternal God. He is the, he is the omnipotent one. He, he is the eternal one made flesh and has come to dwell with us as a son of God. But we are not sons in the same way. It would be pointless and out of place to say that Jesus is merely a son like we are sons. And secondly, I would point you to the fact that uh, when Jesus comes and casts out demons, Luke 8, 28, the demon cries out and says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beseech you, do not torment me. Well, even the demons know that Jesus is a son in a whole different category from the way that you and I are sons. He is the only son. He is the eternal son. He is the eternal Godhead made flesh. He is a son like that. And so when Gabriel says, he will be called son. He's talking about a unique divine word of God, an image of God begotten from all eternity. He is coming to dwell as a son in a way that's completely different from the way that you and I are sons. Fourthly, he says he will sit on David's throne. So Mary's uh, son legally is going to be the savior of God's people. He'll be uh, the king of God's people, and it fulfills the Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 11 verse 10, where it says, In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as an ensign over the people, to him the nations shall seek, and his dwelling shall be glorious. In other words, one day Jesus will not only rule over Israel, but he'll rule over all of God's people, and he will rule the world. And lastly, Gabriel says, his kingdom will never end. Do you know what that promise really means? It means that Jesus is alive today and ruling here in St. Albans over this church and everyone who calls by his name in as sure a way as Boris Johnson is leading the parliament. Jesus is reigning over his people right now, right now here in St. Albans. He is the king of us. He's the king over you and over me in a way that Boris Johnson never will be. Good news. So I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is Savior, Son of God, King of the world? That His government is just as realistic as what I've tried to paint the picture of you, of, of, for you right now? And the point is, if you do believe that, the simple question that we all have to respond to, will you bow before the king, kingship of Jesus and will you obey the rule of His kingdom in your life? That's the challenge. And so, verse 34, Mary catches her breath here a little bit, and she says, she, instead of mocking what seems to be impossible, isn't that the, the spirit of our age? As soon as our, our age doesn't, um, doesn't understand, it mocks. Oh, that can't possibly be possible. You know, it's impossible scientifically. And, and the thing that comes out of people's mouths is mockery. It's the spirit of our age. When you don't understand, you mock. When you disagree, you mock. Mary doesn't respond like that. She realizes she doesn't understand, and she says, how can this be since I don't have a husband? It's a different attitude, isn't it? She simply asks the question in a submitted kind of way. And she was, she was, re she was ready to, to acknowledge that she might be able to give birth to the Messiah, but the fact that she was going to give birth as a virgin, that's completely beyond her comprehension. And so what does Gabriel say? Mary? It's got nothing to do with you. You found favor. You are the favored one, but it's got nothing to do with you. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit, he has the dove. 
Here's the self-effacing one. Here's the shy person of the Godhead. The dove, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you, and you will conceive in your womb, and you will conceive the Messiah, and he will be the son. It's the Holy Spirit's work in you that's going to do this. It's not you. And so that's the response of, of, of Gabriel. Very simply, how's this going to happen? The Holy Spirit. And it's, do you notice that verse 35 says, Therefore, this child will be born and will be called the Son of God. You know, there's some people, uh, liberal people, liberal theologians have said, um, it doesn't really matter if there's a virgin birth or if there's not a virgin birth, because actually Jesus would have been God's son anyway. So it doesn't really matter if Mary was a virgin or not. It's got nothing to do with this. Well, actually, it completely doesn't agree with what Gabriel is saying. Gabriel is saying it. The only reason that this man is going to, this, this person is going to be called Son of God, the Most High, the only reason is that he is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit through a virgin. That's the reason he can be called Son of God, the Most High. That's what makes him different from anybody else that has ever come. That's why he is God's Son, because he has been born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason. And so Gabriel doesn't agree with that kind of theology, and neither, nor, nor, neither do I. The only reason that Jesus can be called the Son, the Most High, is precisely because he is conceived by the Holy Spirit and is born of a virgin, Mary. Remember our study of Colossians? I'm drawing to an end now. Remember our study of Colossians, Colossians 2 verse, verse 9. It speaks of, it says, the unfathomable mystery of all the fullness of the deity that should dwell in the body of Jesus. Remember that, that scripture? This, this mystery that all of God can confine himself to human form and come and live with us as a human being. Well, it's fitting to me that the entrance, the entrance to this mystery the, the gate that opens this mystery is the wonder of the incarnation. That's the, that's the gate that opens it. That's why it is a mystery from the very beginning. It's the Holy Spirit's work to come and do what is impossible for any human being. And so that should cause you to smile. <laughs> that should give you a sense of pleasure that uh, God has assigned this to the shy retiring one of the, of, of the Godhead. And he says, I'm going to give you this work, this incredible work to conceive the one whose greatness will be magnified forever and ever. And lastly, so I finish with this. Verse 36, Gabriel says the pregnancy of Elizabeth who was barren is going to be the evidence that Mary can trust that with God nothing is impossible. That's the, that's the kind of, he says, you you're struggling to believe what I'm going to say? Well, just think of Elizabeth, what's happened with her. You know with her, she was barren. God has made something impossible possible, and so it is with you. That's the sign. You will know. With God, nothing is impossible. And then the last, the last little point. Mary says, Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. I was thinking about that in my own life. Do I trust God enough to say, Father, Holy Spirit, do with me whatever you want? That's what Mary is really saying. She's saying, Holy Spirit, do, do with me whatever you want. Do I trust the Holy Spirit enough in my life to say, 
I'm your slave. I'm your bondservant. I'm your son. Do with me whatever you want. Use your power in my life. Take me where you want me to go. Do what you want me. Let me do what you want me to do. Do I trust you enough to say that? And here's my point. I want to land on this. Do you know why we can say that? Do you know why we can entrust our lives completely to say, God, you can do with me through your Holy Spirit anything that you want. Do you know why we can trust God to say that? It's simply because this. The Holy Spirit exists to exalt Jesus and to bring glory to God the Father. That's why he exists. That's why you can trust your life to him because as he leads you, the only way the Holy Spirit is going to lead you is to bring glory to Jesus and to bring glory to God the Father. That's his work in your life, is to glorify Jesus and to glorify God the Father. So when you say to him, Holy Spirit, take me on this journey and I give you my life and lead me, where is he going to lead you? He's going to lead you towards Jesus and he's going to lead you towards God the Father. That's his work. That's what he does perfectly. That's what he does better than anyone else. And so I want to encourage you as I finish, let the heartbeat of your life be the glory of Jesus. And the Spirit will empower you and help you with all of his might to become more and more like his son. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas, let's not be moaning about 2020, right? It was rotten. It was a dirty, rotten year. Let's put it behind us. Fine. Let's not be complaining about that. Let's be doing this. Let's live and speak this Christmas about Jesus in every way that we can, to every person that we can, so that everyone can know that he's the great Savior, that he's the Son of the Most High, that his kingdom will never end, that he's reigning and ruling forever. Right now in St. Albans, like he's reigning and ruling over all the world. Give yourself to that with all of your heart and all your passion. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will use what you say to point people towards Jesus and to point people towards God the Father, and many will come to know Him, and salvation will come into the homes of many, many lives this Christmas time. Amen. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let that be our passion. Let our passion, it's the passion of the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Jesus. It's the passion of the Holy Spirit to to make much of Jesus, and so let that be the passion of our heart. Let us be full of Him and full of Jesus. Let's live and speak all that we can this Christmas time of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to sing about the majesty of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. And uh, I'm going to put my mask on and I might sort of hum loudly underneath my mask. <laughs> so maybe you want to join, join me humming underneath your mask. We're going to sing this song together. Let's stand. We're going to magnify the great king. His name is Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He reigns and rules. He's the son of the most high. And we're going to celebrate this morning as we do that. King of kings, majesty.